Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks, thanks for joining us again. This episode for Veterans Day, we are going to pay tribute to a family in northern Utah. This family is known by the last name Borgstrom. They paid the ultimate sacrifice to our country when they lost four of their seven boys while serving in World War II. Albin Borgstrom was born April 26, 1883 in Brigham City, Utah. His parents were immigrants from Sweden. It is said that they came to the United States looking for a better life for themselves and their family. Gunda Peterson Borgstrom was born on November 20, 1887, and immigrated from Norway with her family to the United States. We couldn't find exactly anything saying when she came to the United States, but we do know that Gunda and Albin were married on December 14, 1910. The couple moved to Thatcher, Utah, which is about 86 miles north of Salt Lake, to try their hand at beet farming. Beet farming. That's what I was thinking of doing. <laughs> right? Uh, they had a total of 10 children with seven boys and three girls. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Uh, the family was also active in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That explains the pile of kids. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, sadly, on September 27th, 1921, their oldest son, Varen Albin Borgstrom, passed away from an appendicitis. He's not buried in the same cemetery as most of his family. He was laid to rest in Penrose Cemetery, which is about three miles south of Thatcher. Yeah, you can almost throw a rock at it. It's that close. <laughs> Then in 1939 came World War II. The United States did not join the war until December 8, 1941, which is one day after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Roughly 407,000 men from the United States passed away in this war. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of men. Insane. So the town of Tremont and Thatcher were greatly impacted by this because most of the men in town were either enlisted or drafted. With this being a farming community, they relied heavily on the men to help run the farms and farming equipment. Mm -hmm. The Borgstrom family was greatly devastated by the war when over a course of six months, they lost four of the five sons enlisted in the war. The oldest living son, Private Leroy, also known as Roy, was born on April 30th, 1914. He was drafted into the Army in November 1942 at the age of 28. At the time of his passing, he was serving as a medic with the 91st Division in Italy. Though he was the oldest, he was not the first of the family to go to war, nor was he the first to pass away. Leroy was killed on June 22, 1944, during the Battle of Anzio, right? Anzio. Anzio Beachhead. He was not allowed by convention to carry a gun. This didn't stop him, and while he draped a wounded soldier over his soldier, sh excuse me, shoulders, <laughs> there's a lot of S's in there for me, attempting to carry him to safety, he was shot and didn't make it. Wilma Hawks, Leroy's sister, said in an interview that Roy had a premonition and told her, quote, if I go overseas, I won't come back. So Private First Class Clyde Eugene was the second oldest living son in the family. He was born on February 15, 1916, and was the first to go to war. 
He enlisted in the Marines in October 1940 at the age of 24. Clyde was working as a bulldozer operator clearing trees to make runways on the Guadalcanal Island. The U.S. had successfully taken over the island sometime in February 1943, and they were using the island as a springboard to launch the next attack. While working in the thick mud and heavy rain, Clyde couldn't see very well, and sadly he was killed on March 17, 1944, when a tree fell over on his bulldozer, crushing him to death. Sad. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Borgstroms had twin boys named Roland and Rulin. They were born on May 5, 1925. The two boys were drafted in July 1943, just months after they turned 18. The two boys, along with their three older brothers, had just graduated from Bear River High School. When the two were drafted, they were separated while training. Ironically, though, the two boys ended up as gunners on heavy bombers. So Sergeant Roland was assigned as a gunner on a bomber crew based out of England. While flying over Germany on August 8, 1944, his plane was shot as they tried to make it back to base. Unfortunately, the plane crashed near the base, killing everyone on board. He was just 19 years old when he passed away. When news of this, the third son passing away made it to Utah, Senator Albert Thomas and Abe Murdoch, along with Congressman Walter Granger and Utah Governor Herbert Ma, petitioned President Franklin D. Roosevelt to have the two remaining Borgstrom boys, Boyd and Rulin, taken out of active duty, or transferred stateside. But before anything could be done to help save the two last Borgstrom boys, Private First Class Rulin, the remaining twin, who was serving with the 38th Infantry Regiment, the 2nd Infantry Division was initially reported missing in action. His infantry had stormed into France as part of the D-Day offensive. He was later found and passed away 18 laters from his injuries on August 25, 1944 also at the age of 19. This was just 17 days after his brother passed. Terrible. The family had one more son still listed in the war named Boyd. Boyd was ev eventually granted a furlough and then was permanently discharged in October 1944 and allowed to go home after he had already lost four of his brothers. Boyd was the second son in the family to join the war, and it was said that he went to watch over his brother Clyde. So Boyd wrote to the Salt Lake Telegram saying that while he thought the Marine Corps was the best outfit in the world, he first love was farming. He continued on with the plans he had for the farm and his hopes to one day become a large-scale turkey farmer. He ended the letter by saying, quote, There's not much I can say about my three brothers being killed and the other one who's reported missing in action because nothing I can say will bring them back. I know my home certainly will not feel the same without their noise and fun. You can imagine how my folks feel. In a 1998 interview with Wilma Hoggs, one of the brothers' sister, she said she heard the Western Union officer refuse to deliver the fourth telegram reporting Ruland's death because he did not, quote, want to see Miss Borgstrom faint in grief again. That would be tough. Yeah. Um, it took four years for the bodies to be returned to Utah by the American Grave Registration Service. When they arrived in Salt Lake City, they were brought up north where the town held a funeral service in the Garland Tabernacle. It was a hot day on June 25, 1948, when four coffins with flags draped over them 
were placed in the front of the tabernacle. So the entire town of Tree Mountain, Thatcher, and Garland came out to pay their respects to the family. Clarence E. Smith, the former principal of Bear River High School, Latter-day Saint Church President George Albert Smith, and Utah Governor Herbert B. Ma, as well as General Mark W. Clark, all spoke at the funeral for the men. During the service, these men were posthumously awarded. Clyde received the Bronze Star with V device for valor against the enemy in one of the most infamous, the most famous battles of war. Leroy was awarded the Bronze Star. Roland was awarded the Air Medal. And Roland was awarded the Bronze Star. The Borgstrom family was the only four-star Gold Star family on record in World War II. The Sullivan brothers, all of whom were killed in the same incident in World War II, were a five-star Gold Star family. So after the funeral and before the burial, the town had a special dinner. During the dinner, a conversation was had with the parents and General Mark Clark records. As he recalls it, quote, Miss Borgstrom turned to me and in a low voice said, Are you going to take my young one? She was referring to her last son that had not yet gone to war due to him still being in his teens. He continues on, I knew that what she meant and I was glad I had done my homework, but hated to tell her that under law, with two sons remaining, he would be subject to call. But in almost a whisper, I told her that as long as I remain in command of the army on the West Coast, if her boy was called, I would do my best to have him assigned to duty at home. He then goes on to say, quote, In the middle of this whispered conversation with the mother, the father suddenly leaned toward her forward and said to Miss Borgstrom, Mother, I have overheard your conversation with the general about our youngest, and I will make no deals about his service. When his country needs him, he will go. The mother made no further comment. He finishes by saying, I could hardly contain my emotions. Here was a man with four sons lying dead from wounds received in battle, and he was ready to make the last sacrifice if his country required it. The Borgstrom men were laid to rest in the Tremont Cemetery side by side. Even though all men passed away at separate times, it is beautiful that they were able to be buried at the same time and next to one another. Mm-hmm. Between the Borgstrom men passing away and the Sullivan brothers, the government en- enacted the sole survivor policy in 1948. This policy allowed service members whose siblings have been lost in battle to request an honorable discharge. It also put into place the ability for special consideration to be given to any family in which two or more sons have been killed and only one member in service survives. On April 1959, the four Bergstrom brothers were memorialized when the Ogden Army Reserve Training Center was renamed in their honor. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, really neat. Thanks for reading the part that made me cry last time. I know. I made sure to <laughs> make me read that one. <laughs> it was so, a struggle. <laughs> yeah. So this year on the 4th of July, we decided to go to Huntsville, Utah, and explore the cemetery. We were told by a friend that it's really cool. Um, it's right next to the lake. Actually, I think it's on a little peninsula in the lake. Yeah. And didn't he say he found it by riding the boat there? I don't recall. Oh, Okay. So also, this town has the oldest bar in Utah that boasts to have the best hamburgers in the state, and we have yet to visit it. We figured, why not go to the cemetery and then get a drink and lunch after? Yeah. Not taking into consideration that it was the 4th of July and the middle of summer, 
we still jumped in the car and headed north. <laughs> to get to Huntsville from Salt Lake, you have to drive on I-84 through the canyon. As we took the turn up the canyon, we saw a group of men in military uniform, and they were standing at attention on the side of the road. Mm, that was awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, behind them was a fire truck, and the ladder was extended out with a giant American flag attached to it, and it was just blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. And they were just so super stoic, all the cars going mm -hmm. by, and they didn't move. Yep. So. Uh, when we passed them, we gave them a little honk of the horn and a wave, acknowledging them and thanking them for their service. And as we continued on, we could hear fire jets getting, not fight, yeah, fighter jets, not fire jets. <laughs> <laughs> we could hear fighter jets getting close to us. And we looked up just in time to see four of them flying overhead. Yeah. One of them, I feel like we could have thrown a rock at. It was so close to us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually have pictures of that, so we'll have to post them up. Mm -hmm. um, it was truly just a memorable memorable experience to see this. Yeah. Very impactful over the holiday. Mm -hmm. I remember too, turning to you and just kind of talking about how crazy it was. You know, the whole world is just going on, doing their own thing, and- we're just so wrapped up in the 4th of July and the parties and the boating. Um, you know, did anybody ever stop for just a moment to thank the men or even just, you know, do a silent thank to yourself for what they did for us? Mm -hmm. It was really kind of brought all of, that, all of that to attention of like what we were the day was about. Absolutely. So as we got to Hanksville, we quickly noticed how packed the town was with people just trying to enjoy a day at the lake. It also looked like they had just possibly wrapped up a parade out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of old classic cars running around and all that. Yep. So we turned down the road to get to the cemetery, and there was a line of cars. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a dead stop. Yeah, we stopped. <laughs> so as we were approaching the intersection, we could see the police had blocked off the road, and there was a sign saying the road was closed. So we figured we'd go check out the bar, since it was just around the corner on the next street. But thanks to Utah law, it was still too early and it wasn't open yet. <laughs> so the two of us laughed about the fact that we were up early enough on a Saturday to be ready f and to drive for 45 minutes to get to a bar before it was open. We both aren't really morning folks. No. <laughs> quite, quite the night owls. <laughs> yeah. So to be up that early and get there was not normal for us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, we figured why not call the whole day, a, you know, why call, why not call the whole day a wash and we could go for a ride and just try and put some new lines on our maps. Uh, so for for those of you that do not know, we both have a giant laminated map hanging on our walls. And every time we go on a road trip, we draw in the route we took to get to our destination. So from Hanksville, we decided to go to a town called Hiram. We had never been there. We had no idea what was even there. We just figured every town has a cemetery. Why not see what we could find? Absolutely. Um, so I think I have a blog post on the website that talks about the maps. And I have, it might be a shitty picture, but there is a picture of one of the wall maps on there. Oh, okay. Talks about how it's used and whatnot. Yeah. So check that out for sure then. So rather than getting back on the freeway to take the fastest route, we opted for the back roads. Plus the whole reason we were doing this was to put some new lines on the map. <laughs> so we got on Utah 39 and headed in that direction. As we approached the road that Google Maps was directing us to, we noticed it was just a dirt road. So the start of the dirt road looked pretty rocky and bumpy, so we opted against that and stayed on the paved road. Yeah. 
So before everyone starts in on how we should have just traveled on the dirt road or where's your sense of adventure, we've done such things before and it doesn't <laughs> always work out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes our cars just shouldn't be on some of these roads. But yeah. this time we didn't want to risk damaging the vehicle or getting stuck. Remember on uh, the fat boy Harley <laughs> and we were trying to get from Salmon over to Dillon, Idaho yes. and said it's probably just a farm road. And ended up being a total four-wheel drive road going up and dodging ruts. and <laughs> Yeah, the two of us on one bike, fully loaded, driving on a dirt road. Luggage, tent, everything, absolutely. <laughs> I knew it was bad when you were like, don't let go of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm holding on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. So, word to the wise, before you take a route that uh, Google Maps is telling you to take on an unknown road, maybe turn your settings to the satellite and see if you can tell if the road's a dirt road or a normal road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would have saved us a lot of time, I'm sure. <laughs> that was worth it, though. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, since we are no longer heading to Hiram and the road was now taking us to Bear River, we thought maybe we could check out the lake. But no, no, we were full because it was still the 4th of July and that lake was just as packed as the other lake. So there was nowhere to park, no way we could even get out and put our foot in the water at all. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember, I, I don't know if you remember seeing all the sailboats on there. I know you were driving, but it was pretty neat to see all the sailboats out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so at this point, Gypsy suggested we go up to the Borgstrom Graves. Why not? We were pretty much had to drive past it to get home, where we found a route to make it to where we would drive past <laughs> it to get home. Yeah. That happens a lot. So we headed west towards Thatcher. Uh, Google was nice enough at this point to take us on a detour that was still on the back roads. And by doing this, we passed through a small town called Deweyville, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this town is most definitely a town that if you blink, you would miss it. But don't worry. We made sure to find the cemetery. <laughs> yeah. I think there was one house that we passed before the turn. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. So, <laughs> yeah, naturally, we had to stop. And we were pretty sure glad we did. The front half of the cemetery is full of the older headstones. And as you go back, the back half of the cemetery is the newer section. Though we have the same amount of regard for everyone laid to rest in a cemetery, we definitely tend to gravitate towards the older sections. Yeah, they have a lot more funner headstones, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, oddly enough, at the time, we had no idea what the name of the cemetery was that we had turned into. Nor the town. Nor the town. We, had, <laughs> we didn't know where we were at, I'm not, not going to lie. So, uh, we just saw headstones and turned it to the cemetery. We do that a lot. Mm -hmm. The first group of headstones that actually caught my eye just so happened to be the Dewey family. And the one that, in particular, that really stood out had a picture on it of a person that had passed away. Um, she looked really young. I, I don't remember the date, but I do have a picture. So we'll post that on the website for you guys. Mm, there was another one I remember taking a picture of, and it was just striking. The gal was young, and this is, I think, late 1800s, but, you know, no makeup, anything like that, but just a really striking figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, those pictures actually held up really well because some of the pictures we've seen are um, faded. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this cemetery also had a lot of headstones with a picture of the person that had passed away on it. But they had these little brass doors over them that you had to open up to look inside. They were so cool. <laughs> yeah, I know that these things have existed, but I've never seen them. This is the first time we've actually seen them in person. Yeah. So now every time we go to a new cemetery, we're looking for these little doors and 
Oddly enough, down there at the Tree Mountain Cemetery, we found more, all the way to modern styles that were plastic, but these were that really cool old brass. Yeah. Um, so if we, I'm sure we've got plenty of pictures of them. We'll post some of them up on the website too. You can see how cool they are. Yeah, some of them even had like writing on the front of the brass. Mm-hmm. It's like son or you know mom. Right. A lot of a lot of fun stuff. So. Yeah. Um, once we figured out the area we were in was called Deweyville. We actually laughed at this point that we went right to those headstones. Yeah, pointing out all the Dewey <laughs> headstones. Like, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, also, do you remember this was the headstone we found the, or the cemetery we found the unicorn headstone in? Yeah, it had, wasn't it two of them kind of facing each other? Yeah. Was that the, what it was, or was it just one big one? No, they were, like, rearing off to each other with, like, mm-hmm. a sun in the background. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, I remember that. It was pretty cool. <laughs> I showed a picture of it to my niece, I think. I yeah. took the picture so I could show her. She loves the unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> So after exploring that cemetery for a bit, it was time to head to the Borgstrom Brothers. The cemetery they are laid to rest in was just down the street from the Deweyville Cemetery. As we approached the, the gate for the cemetery, we saw a board with plot locations listed on it. Yeah, so I hopped out of the car to go look at the board and see if we could see where the brothers were located. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever looked at a cemetery map, but they're, they can be pretty confusing at times. You have to scroll through pages of names and then once you find the name that you're looking for it'll give you the plot number then you have to go back to the map and you have to find out what section you know all the sections are broken into and a lot of times they're even broken into smaller sections so i don't know it took about five minutes to kind of figure it all out Mm -hmm. but once we knew where we were headed the map was absolutely correct and it took us right there Um, so if you want to visit the soldiers and pay your respects once you arrive at the cemetery, the Riverview Cemetery is what it's called in Tremont, you will notice a flagpole in the middle of the cemetery. The brothers are located in this section west of the flagpole, straight in line with it. So once you drive down the road they're located on, you'll see four white crosses. When we went to visit, the white crosses had small American flags tied to them. Yeah, I'm, I think the family, somebody in the family still goes... Every holiday intends to the headstones for them. Mm-hmm. Pretty touching. Uh, the brothers are side by side, as well as several of the family members laid to rest next to them. Each of them have their own headstones. And then they also placed a larger one there with them that, you know, has their information, what ranking they were in the military and, and whatnot on both sides of that headstone. Mm-hmm. So the movie Saving Private Ryan with Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, and Edward Byrne with also, who is it, Tom Sizemore? Yeah. Uh, put out in 98, is loosely based upon the Borgstrom and Sullivan brothers. Gypsy hasn't seen the movie yet, but we're planning to fix that. <laughs> we don't have too many long evenings to yeah. <laughs> sit down and watch a three-hour movie, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Isn't it pretty long? Yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> And sadly, I tend to fall asleep during movies. Yeah, it'll take us a month to watch it. (laughs) Yeah. As far as we know, the Borgstrom family is the only four-star gold star family in the United States. The Sullivans may may well have been the only five-star gold star family. The Sullivan brothers were all killed in the same incident during World War II when the light cruiser USS Juno was sunk in November 1942 from a Japanese submarine torpedo with no survivors. The Sullivan brothers enlisted January 3rd, 1942, with the stipulation they serve 
at each other's side. It was typical to keep family separate, however, was not a policy that was enforced. That's pretty awesome they were able to do that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The Borgstroms gave the ultimate sacrifice when they lost four of their six sons. I could not imagine as a mother losing four sons in six months when you have no way of saving them and they're on the other side of the world. You can't be there for them. It had to just be devastating for her. Yeah, absolutely intense. Back then, we have none of the conveniences we have now of emails or Skype or any of that kind of stuff. It would have been random letters if Mm -hmm. they're able to get them or who knows where they are. Yeah. You know, pretty sad, very touching. When the the, uh, youngest, the last twin that passed away, when he went missing, they didn't even know that he had passed away. They were still under the assumption that he was missing. Mm -hmm. That's how long it took the news to travel back to us. Right. So really sad. And you said, I think, that the second twin didn't know that the first twin had died. It was Mm -hmm. just a short time afterward and had no idea. Yep. Yeah, very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. War's tough. Well, if any of you listening have served or are actively serving, we want to thank you for your willingness to serve and protect us. I would like to also thank both my Uncle Steve and my Grandfather Ralph for their service. Though they're no longer with us, they both put in their time to protect us. Um, I would also like to thank my Uncle Johnny for his service. I actually remember the day that he told my grandma he was enlisting, and she was really excited but also sad because he had been away for two years serving a mission, and I think he came home for like a month and then left again. So we just didn't really get to see him for quite a few years. Yeah, uh, and it changes you between Mm -hmm. a mission and exploring to – going through the service and becoming a man. Yeah. Pretty intense. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. That was a tough one to get through. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for traveling along with us in a very honorable and memorable journey. It was a a fun trip. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast efforts, please don't be afraid to leave us a positive rating and review. If you'd like to keep up on what we have going on, you can follow us on Instagram. At Rebel at Large. If you'd like to see the pictures we keep talking about relating to our journeys, you can find them at rebelatlarge.com. And there you can also find links to other social media, or you can send us an email to let us know what you're thinking. Even if you have something kind to say. (laughs) Safe travels. We'll see you all down the road. (laughs) 